Football is back, and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code CAPITAL, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Road to Rediscovery is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me ask you something. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, for me growing up, feelings of anxiety, inadequacy, doubt, and even imposter syndrome got in the way uh, of me reaching my goals and reaching my full potential, right? So BetterHelp addresses these and more. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and, get this, financial aid is even available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. They mean it. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Road to Rediscovery. That's Better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And there's a special offer for our Road to Rediscovery listeners. Get 10% off your first month when you register at betterhelp.com slash roads rediscovery. We're all in this journey of life together, and it sure feels good to know professional help is within our reach with BetterHelp. Again, that's Better H-E-L-P. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Our lives are laid out on a road of bumps, turns, struggles, and more. How do we respond? How do we endure adversity for learning and growth? I'm Aubrey Johnson, and we'll explore these questions and more on The Road to Rediscovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Road to Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson. The Road to Rediscovery is about reflecting on life lessons to learn and grow from them, and of course, pay it forward and uplift others who are struggling through dark times. Now, as you know, on The Road to Rediscovery, we are very passionate about delivering quality content for you and your personal growth. If you like what you hear, please visit roadtorediscovery.com slash donate. That's road, the number two, rediscovery.com slash donate. We'll give you a shout out in a future episode. And as always, there is no obligation. We are truly, truly grateful for your listenership. My special guest is a single mom, attorney, business owner, and executive search professional. Having come from a life of prestige, life gave her, as she puts it, a hard kick in the tail, having survived sexual assault, two divorces, major debt, and more. As a result of her deep reflection, she's authored Blooming, finding gifts in the shit of life, and now thrives in helping others find their purpose through empowerment, shifting their mindset, reframing, 
and creating a vision for their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Carrie Smith to the show. Hey, Carrie, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, no, absolutely. It's great to have you here for sure. So um, if we can uh, just provide a little context, okay, for the benefit of the listeners, um, and if we can paint a picture, okay, can you start by giving us, just give us a synopsis of how life was for you before the storm came, so to speak? Huh. Well, where, I guess, well, do you want to start at the beginning? Um, so, you know, um, growing up, I just, I had a very difficult childhood. I had, mm. um, I grew up in a very um, super religious family where my father used religion to control us and as an excuse for bad behavior. Um, it, my family, uh, my great-great-grandfather founded International Paper Company, and I had mm. another great-great-grandfather that had a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. So it was a family that um, at one point in time, you know, kind of lived the Great Gatsby lifestyle. Mm. And but as the generations went on, um, the wealth didn't necessarily pass to all of us. So uh, in my little section of the family, my father was a doctor uh, and my mother married him thinking that she was going to be guaranteed uh, financial stability, which was a big mistake. But <laughs> the, the family was really high on expectations. They had expectations for us to go to the very, very best schools and were very caught up in society and being members of and participating in the very highest levels of society. And so when it got to me, I was the third of three. And because my parents were so religious, everything went to my brother, the firstborn male, and then to my sister, the firstborn female. And when it came to me, there just wasn't anything left. Hmm. And to kind of draw this, this stark difference um, in high school, my sister went to this school called Miss Porter's School in Farmington, Connecticut, which is a very, very exclusive all-girls school where mm-hmm. some of the most, you know, well-known, um, the J.P. Morgan or whatnot, like sent his kids, you know, it's what it's one of those yeah. really established old schools, boarding mm-hmm. schools where my grandmother, my mother, and my sister went. But while my sister was there and um, on the weekends flying on private jets and going to debutante balls, I was going to public school in Everett, Washington, which is a industrial seaside town where mm-hmm. while she's at a on a private plane, I'm in a vacant lot drinking beer. Oh, <laughs> Just, wow. That's the difference. <laughs> we're 18 months apart. And because they basically My. said, you know, we're going to take care of the first two and you get the leftovers, which is nothing. That's the difference in how we were treated. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. my. Geez. So, um while prestige was in your presence, um, it, you you didn't seem to be a benefactor of it, it sounds No, like. no. In fact, it really caused an identity crisis for me because I felt mm-hmm. like I should be, be behaving like and live up to the expectations of all of that, but I didn't have yeah. the financial resources to support that. And so I was very conflicted about, you know, supposedly I'm from this high society family, but I can't afford to eat. You know, it just didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> it mm-hmm. didn't make sense to me. So what would you or how would you explain um, uh, your self-esteem at that time? You know, I mean, that that's a that's a pretty hard hit to take. I mean, 
you know, you weren't asked to be born the third out of three, you know, and, 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 and it almost, almost seems like you're isolated, you know, from, from these types of things. And, uh, but, but you, you seem to have surged on. um, Well, it was, it was a rough road. I mean, one of Mm -hmm. the chapters in my book is about family rejection. Mm. And because I came from this family, they were very into tennis and they belonged to the clubs that had like grass courts and it was all, all white tennis whites were required to to play tennis there. Mm -hmm. And I, unfortunately, um, we, we discovered throughout the process of my life that I had an eye injury, which means I have zero hand-eye coordination. Um, Mm. there's a funny story in the book about how I got that injury, but what, what happened was, is I sucked hard at tennis and mm-hmm. because it was so important in my family we had people that were like state champions and national squash champions and whatnot. Um, I was resoundingly rejected. In fact, when my sister had her graduation party from Miss Porter's there, we had this family get together mm-hmm. where everybody was playing tennis and my grandmother was screaming at me to get off the court because I was such an embarrassment. I couldn't play tennis. So here my sister is being honored and I am being vilified and rejected. And that just pretty much sums up my childhood, really. Um, Yeah, yeah. It took a lot to get out from under that and find my own way, carve my own path and understand that rejection is actually, it can actually be a gift in that it released me from my family's expectations. Once I Mm. understood that rejection, I realized I didn't have to try to be like them because I wasn't like them. And I'd been rejected already. And that gave me freedom to really be who I was. And so I, I look, I call rejection redirection. I think it's sometimes we get, we're like, we feel so bad when we're rejected, but it actually can be a gift of God's pointing us in a different direction. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is beautiful. Rejection can be redirection. Yeah. And you were, you were, you were granted freedom from that rejection. And, 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 and that takes, and I, and we're going to touch on this in a minute on your book. Um, but that takes a mind shift. It takes a way of reframing, right? Because on the surface, you can easily receive that and feel victimized, feel, you know, vilified and, 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 and so forth. And, and it takes some reframing, uh, to, to, uh, to, 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 to gain that new fresh perspective. That's really, more helpful than damaging as, as is the, the former. Yes. Right? Yes. In fact, yeah. I, there's this great quote that I stumbled on when I was writing the book and it's mm-hmm. um, rejection is the sand in the oyster that makes the pearl. <sighs> I just was like, Oh, so I love that. So profound. Yeah. So did Little did they know that by rejecting me so fully, what a pearl did I turn into? Oh, Hundred percent, hundred percent, man, that is awesome. So, 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 Carrie, most of your childhood consisted of this, and then let's fast forward to you know you're an adult, and now of course comes real life adult problems, right? Um, now, when 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 the first major struggle um, uh, came your way. Um, whichever it is, and, and you can share here, whether it's the, the assault or the divorces, et cetera. Um, uh, did you feel that you were prepared um, for, for that at any point or just no. wasn't ready? 
No. I mean, one of the things that I still deal with today um, Mm -hmm. is because there was no support or um, I always felt the sense of lack. And it it wasn't just because I wasn't given, you know, as much as far as, you know, money or clothes or same level of of education or any of that. Mm -hmm. It was it was that those emotional needs of a parent showing up for you. And so as I hit those crises in life, and the other thing too, is by being rejected by my family, I didn't have support throughout the family either. And so there really was no one for me. Um, And, you know, again, you know, we talk about reframing. It's so important is, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to really turn inward and, um, and well, we can talk about some of the things that happened, but it, it, it's those internal resources where I learned and gained strength was I, I just fought my way out of it. And, mm-hmm. um, and by looking at things differently, it, I mean, that really was something that helped. But so the first big event was when I was in college, I was sexually assaulted. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, back in those days, people didn't talk about sexual assault and somebody who was sexually assault was often blamed for it. Right. And so I wasn't able to talk about it um, or I was told not to pursue charges or anything because I might get kicked out of my sorority. Right. But when I went home and I shared it with my mother, that's the most surprising story I think is I told her I'd been raped and she said to me, she turned beet red and got angry and said, I am so disappointed in you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We had hoped you would remain a virgin until you were married. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Jeez. And uh, you must never speak of this again. You must never tell your father. And, like, mm-hmm. you're on your own. And that was it. That was the support I got. <laughs> oh, my. I am so sorry. That, yeah, and and and... Your, your own parents, right? I My mean, own parents, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, um, you know, life has a way of kind of these things happen. On, on the drive back from college before Thanksgiving, when I shared this with my mother, there was mm-hmm. a horrific accident that happened. And actually seeing this accident, I mean, right in front of me, seeing people that we knew pass away, um, oh, no. it, it really hit home for me that as depressed as I was about what had happened to me, mm-hmm. that I didn't want to die. I had been suicidal. I really was seriously considering killing myself and then yeah. come across this accident. And then of course I share this with my mother and get that response. But what happened is I actually was like, I had this moment of clarity that I didn't want to die, but I sure as hell wanted to get help the hell out of Dodge. And so yes. I realized that what I would do would, would be to transfer. And so I, transferred from Washington State University to the University of Texas at Austin. Mm-hmm. And Austin has been my home ever since. I mean, what a gift. I never would have ended up in Austin, Texas if mm-hmm. I hadn't mm-hmm. needed to get the hell out of town. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was just, again, it was sort of serendipity. I had a sorority sister that had just come back from visiting. I didn't know a soul. Yeah. Um, just she'd been raving about how great the University of Texas was. And yeah. so I was like, I literally, because of the timing, I was like, that's where I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am. Yeah. And you haven't looked back since. I haven't. I love it here. It's definitely my home. 
Wow. That is awesome. And, and, you know, as a fellow Texan or um, Texan transplant, you know, with myself living in North Dallas, um, I agree with you. Once uh, I came here seven years ago, hey, no looking back. I mean, yeah. just really, really, you know, enjoy it here. Enjoy the people, enjoy the food. I, I'm, I'm a fan of the weather. So, yes. you know, it's just, just, uh, just all good stuff for sure, you know. So um, one thing you touched on, Carrie, that I found very profound and that I would love if you could maybe elaborate a little bit more um, for the benefit of the listeners, okay, is when going through those struggles, okay, um, and, and, and those challenges, you at some point realized that you had to look inward. You had to take an introspective approach to realizing what you needed to search for to be happy in life and to overcome these challenges. Yeah. Um, if you can just speak on that a little bit, because I, I, I truly feel before you can look inward, you have to have some degree of self-awareness. And I uh, just wanted to sh see if you can share or elaborate on, on, on how, that, how that went with you and your journey. Yeah. Well, so I had this all bottled up inside of me, this, this trauma, and it was just mm -hmm. eating at me. And when I finally, six years later, sat down and I ended up sharing my story by writing it, yeah. which I think is really key for a lot of people, because whenever I'd had a lot of experiences of trying to tell share different things where I felt minimized, like I couldn't tell my story or my experience. Right. And by writing it, there was no one else there. It was just me sharing my own experience. And with, when I shared that story um, with this guy, I was kind of seeing mm -hmm. and he showed empathy for me. That was mm -hmm. the beginning of my healing journey. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I got into therapy and all of that. But along the way, I stumbled across a couple of different things that were really, really helpful to me. Um, and let me say, so we can, I don't forget to go back to them, but one is yeah. the book, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Mm -hmm. And another is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And both of those kind of lean towards this, this idea of going inward. So with Gavin DeBecker's book, I mean, he, he talks about rape in, in his opening story. And, and he talks about survival signals that you can learn to recognize to help avoid that kind of thing happening to you. But what I love about his book and about his story in general is that he, he wrote this book because he had become one of the foremost experts on the ability to predict violence. And the way he became that expert was because he'd had an incredibly violent childhood. Mm -hmm. And so okay. instead of burying his childhood trauma, he instead embraced it and recognized it as being part of the fabric of who he was Yes, and used it to compel, to propel him to greatness. And he created this company advising VIPs, CEOs, even the president of the United States mm -hmm. on whether somebody had the propensity to be violent or not. And so looking at him as an example, I then started kind of doing some more exploring on that. And I found this book by Augustine Burroughs called This Is How. And in that book, he talks about how as horrible and horrific as something like rape is, 
you know, you don't have to let it continue to be a drain on you. You right. can instead claim it and make and understand that what happened to you is actually something that it becomes part of you. And if you're able to reframe the experience and look at it differently, then you can meld it into something that is beautiful and useful and can be used to propel you forward as opposed to drain you. Right. So fast forward to Viktor Frankl's book, because Viktor Frankl, as many may know, is a Holocaust survivor. And his book talked about his experiences in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. And here he is in the middle of a concentration camp with his friends and relatives being sent to the gas chambers and beaten on a regular basis, being starved. Mm. And yet he's able to find empathy for his guard and actually reach a place of peace. Um, and the reason for that is because he turned inward. And what he talks about is the fact that as horrible as things are that happen to you, there's you never give up control of how you choose to view an event and the story that you tell yourself. Right. And so when he was able to move beyond what was happening to him and look outward and try to understand why his guard was doing what he was doing, he was able to find empathy and, you know, realize that the story he told himself was going to determine how he, how or, and whether or not he survived this experience. And so, you know, both of these books and or three books and stories all involve um, taking what's happening to you and reframing it and viewing it differently so that you can use it as something to move you forward as opposed to something that drains you. I see. I see. Um, man, that's beautiful. And, uh, and, and so the, the empathy that you felt from your friend um, after his, him reviewing what you've written as, as well as the three books, would you say that those were key elements that, that kind of helped you endure and overcome throughout these struggles? Well, that, yes. And lots of therapy, let's be honest. I right. mean, one and of the therapy. things, right. one of the things I really want people to understand mm -hmm. is because when we talk about reframing, we talk, it's a lot about you know, thinking about things positively. And I'm very, very careful about, you know, toxic positivity and all of that. Yes. I think it's really important for people to understand that part of my healing journey was acknowledging what happened to me and owning it and actually claiming it, not shoving it under the rug. And right. then fully experiencing all of the emotions that go along with that from rage to grief, you know, whatever it is that you need to move through, but you have to feel those emotions and work through them in order to get to the other side and to heal. And for me, I like to say you have to reach rage to reach forgiveness because in order to release that anger, you have to really you know, like understand and embrace like I'm, I'm pissed that this person did this to me. But then, right, right. then go, okay, you know, let go of that. I mean, right. so you have a choice. Am I going to stay in that space and mire in the mud and let this event define me for the rest of my life? Or am I going to take what happened to me and see what good I can pull from it? And for me, I realized later, people would tell me that I had a quiet confidence and that I was, I had a presence. I would walk into a room and I had a presence. Hmm. I realized that was because I was a survivor. I knew like when I walk in a room, I'm like, I know I'm going to get out of here alive. Like yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, so there is something to that. And so the quiet confidence and the, res the emotional resilience that I gained 
um, you know, learning. I think when you have trauma, you have to uh, discover other skills to get out of it, whether it's creativity or innovation or, you know, different survival skills, intuition. There's other things that come from these experiences that are good. And if we can focus on those and claim those, it makes all the difference. No, it truly does. It, it, it I couldn't agree more. One hundred and ten percent. And I'm 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 really really uh, grateful that you uh, express the point of having to process through these emotions when something traumatic happens. Um, this is something that we've talked on the show for a long time. When uh, there's when there's bumps in the road, when there's struggle to lean into them and not shove yeah. them under the rug, right? You, you must lean into these. You must embrace them close. Um, it's kind of like, um, I, I'm kind of a movie buff and I hate to quote movie quotes <laughs> normally, but actually, no, I don't, I do. But one of the quotes <laughs> is um, uh, by the Godfather, you know, um, in, in the movie, he said, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And so, um, you know, just leaning into uh, and embracing, you know, um, the issue, the problem, the struggles, you know, um, to me, that helps us see it for what it is. We, it's hard to overcome or find a resolution to something that we avoid, right? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so we're better positioned if we acknowledge what it is we want to resolve. And, uh, and you, you pointed that out very, very clearly, Carrie. So I want to, I want to thank you. Thank you for that, for sure. Yeah. And one, one of my fa other favorite books, clearly I like to read, um, <laughs> is Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way. I love that book. Um, it's, I, one of my other things I like to say is that mindset is a muscle. And as we learn these reframing skills, we kind of shift our mindset and the more you flex the muscle, the stronger it gets, right? Yes, so with, yes. I have gotten to the place where I've been through enough trauma and learned to view it differently and find the good in it, that now when an obstacle comes up, I kind of get excited. It, I kind of look at it like it's a puzzle. And that sounds weird. But for instance, like when the pandemic hit, I was like, okay, this is one of those once in a generation events when innovation happens, people make fortunes you make and lose fortunes, you know, it's, it's a big event and recognizing it for what it was. I was like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? And also when we had that, you know, lockdown, it was a forced sabbatical. I'm like, well, what am I going to do at this time? Am I going to sit here and eat bonbons or <laughs> am I going to use this time to <laughs> write a book? I wrote a book. Um, so it's about, it's about when you flex that muscle and you view things differently, then when these obstacles come up, you're able to immediately move from the pain to the opportunity. I mean, so much more quickly. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan... Holiday. Holiday, thank you. Yes, he's written a number of good books, but that's my favorite. Very nice. And, and you know what? To me, that title tells it all, right? The Obstacle is the Way. Um, because no one's going to have an obstacle-free life, right? <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, our journey is, uh, we'll have turns and bumps and and ripples and even flooding, you know, just uh, um, big trees knocking, you know, blocking your way and path and everything. So the obstacle is the way. I, I it like is. That. 
And as I like to say, mm-hmm. you know, life is just one big roller coaster ride. And we yeah. have a choice. We can scream in terror the mm-hmm. entire way, <laughs> or we can throw our hands up and enjoy it. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. And 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 there's and and, and that that takes me to the title, okay? Um uh, of your book that I want to chat about quickly. Um, but before that, I wanted to just, um, I don't know, I just wanted to say, you know, um, you, you've raised up a lot of good points when it, when you were talking about the books and the obstacles. And um, I, I, I mean, have you learned, what have you learned about yourself, you know, um, in, in this journey in retrospect? Well, I know that I'm not just a survivor, I'm a thriver. 100%. And when stuff comes, I mean, I am somebody that I, I think on my feet, I'm scrappy. Uh, I, 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 I do not, I, I don't get anxious and mm-hmm. I don't worry. I have a lot of self-confidence that about being able to get through things. And it's because I've lived, I have lived through so many things. And so I've right. come to realize that um, I have the skills and, you know, as long as God continues to bless me to, to be on this planet, I'm still here. So I, I don't really sweat it. Oh, that's great, man. That's awesome. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a, that's a true, true revelation, you know, in, in all that you've gone through, just um, being relaxed about things, taking things as they come, welcoming challenges and, and, and not getting too flustered. Right. Um, another thing, I'm sorry, and then we're going to get to the title. Another thing I wanted to kind of briefly, um, just share my appreciation for you discussing, okay, is power. Okay. We all have power, I feel. And, um, you mentioned something, especially after talking about the gentleman who was at Auschwitz, um, you know, the, the, the power to, to respond, in a way that is helpful and and healthy to yourself no matter the circumstances of course there's a there's a process you know you can be angry you can be upset pissed off sad whatever and you go through that process but it's us having the power to go through the process um, so that we can have empathy for that guard in his case um, or, or, or be able to forgive, you know, and, 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 and having that power uh, to me, that's more powerful than just responding um, uh, at a hair trigger and um, not thinking before you speak or act. And then of course have a lifelong um, years of a resentment for what yeah. happened without yeah. processing it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think when we have things happen to us and these things are truly horrific, like being in a concentration camp or being raped or, you know, having Mm -hmm. a family member, you know, murdered or something, people say, how can you possibly find anything good in that? Like, that's just, you know, game over. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, well that game over is your choice, right? You're choosing that. But the way I look at it is when we're feeling like we're a victim, we're focused on somebody doing something to us. And Mm -hmm. in that, way of thinking you are giving up all of your power you are powerless but the minute you switch your way of thinking to i'm in control here and 
they can do whatever they want to me, but they never get to own what's going on inside of me. And I'm at peace and, mm-hmm. and I'm instead going to, you know, look at them and try to find compassion for them or understanding. And yes. one of the things that um, uh, Victor Frankl talks about is that he actually came to a place where he pitied his guards and mm, wow, mm-hmm. there, as I like to say, there is real power in pity in that if you, if something yes. is happening to you and this aggressor, you know, whatever the experience is, is happening. If you can get to a place where you pity that person, you, mm-hmm. you're released from their grasp. Suddenly, oh, yeah. you know, nobody wants to feel pity, but if you right. get to that place, you have so much power. And so, again, it's that whole shift in mindset. If someone is raping me, I mean, yeah, I pity him. Like, why is he yeah. doing that? Like, he can't, yeah. whatever the reason is, I, I, I feel pity for him. Yeah. And that's yeah. really powerful. Yeah, it's extremely powerful, right? I mean, uh, the, uh, you're not giving up your power. Uh, and, and like you said, the gentleman who was in the concentration camps, right? Uh, pity for the guard when your own, own life hangs in their balance, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that ta- that's a significant mind shift. It's oh, a yeah. significant reframing. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, it allows, it allows, uh, it allows us to realize the power that we have, you know? And um, one of the biggest uh, phrases that uh, kind of gets under my skin, <laughs> I'm afraid to say, is, um, and, and you've, you've probably heard this phrase before, a lot of people say it in arguments and everything, it's when they say, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. You know, well, I'm thinking to myself, really? I mean, is I'm done, really? Does, is, is, that, is that really the case? Are you done? So you've given up your power to someone or whatever the source is that made you quote done um, to where it's that final. Is it really that final? Because if you are done, as life has proven historically, something else is always going to come up. So right. what are you going to do now when this other challenge comes up and you're already done? That's a lot of power that you've given up. If you're done, that means you can't do anything to respond to this next adversity because in life it will happen. So when people throw around that phrase, I'm done, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of gets to me and makes me think, mm, are you really done? And uh, Well, there's two is- ways to look at that term. I mean, the other way yeah. to look at it is when somebody says that, you know, and I can speak to this being twice divorced, and that is when somebody is, ang- when somebody is angry at you, they are still engaged with you. Yeah. They're right. still feeling an emotion towards you. So if they're, you know, but the minute somebody moves from anger to apathy, yes, that is when it's truly over. Yes. And I think so, a lot of times when I, when you say when I'm, what, that phrase, when I think of I'm done, I'm thinking, well, I just moved from anger to apathy. So mm, okay. it's, it's a way to exit that, you know, experience, yeah. relationship, whatever it is. It's literally saying I am disengaging. Yes. So there are two different ways to look at that. I appreciate where you're coming from, but I, that's something else to kind of think about. Well, I appreciate you uh, um, uh, offering that additional perspective because um, that is very much so, so true. Um, and, and, you know, like, again, I, you know, I, 
I was in a previous marriage. So, you know, I, I, I know when I was quote done, you know, I, I I've had it um, yeah. pretty much. And, and so it, it is that disengaging and sometimes we have to do that for our own good. Right. Now that doesn't mean that we're done with everything in life. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It just means that you're disengaging from that, whatever yes. that is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, some amazing, some great insights, Carrie. I really appreciate all this you're sharing for the benefit of the listeners. I, I, I really do. So I want to talk quickly about your title. Okay. Yes. Your title blooming, finding gifts in the shit of life. Um, to me, and I could be wrong, but to me, it suggests finding that quote silver lining, right? Um, and 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 I think we've talked about this earlier. Um, in a lot for a lot of us, right? We we have to go through a mind shift or a reframing or learn how to do it in order to find those gifts and silver lining. Well, so, so mm-hmm. let me just interject here, and that uh-huh. is the word. The use of the word shift is very intentional because it's a double entendre. And that means that not only is it like colloquially, we refer to all of our bad experiences as, you know, the shit in our lives or my life's gone to shit or whatever. But shit is quite literally fertilizer. And it's in (laughs) the shit. We need the shit. It's the shit that makes us grow and bloom. Right. If we didn't have those experiences, we wouldn't grow and bloom into our greatness. Just like the rain, just like the rain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry, but another reference, because I love the show Seinfeld, um, George says ma newer is a good thing because of ma in newer. So, so (laughs) again, ma, because you know, your mother, ma, and then newer, because when something's new or newer, it's newer is good. I I, I don't know where you was going with it, but uh, it kind of reminded me of that. And, uh, and I appreciate you spelling out that double entendre, right? Because um, we do need shit in our lives because it does help us grow. Um, We need it. I mean, it's essential. If you think about the fact that you need fertilizer Mm -hmm. quite literally for a flower to bloom if you embrace that understanding you under you learn that all these difficult life experiences are actually the things that shape us into who we are yeah and and that's where we kind of we get some great life skills and it kind of it hones us into being the you know the the special snowflake that we are um you know our uniqueness what we have to offer everyone the benefit you're thanking me for all these pieces of wisdom. Well, it's because I've been through so much. Right. You know, that's where I gained that wisdom from. So that's why mm-hmm. I laugh about it. Cause it's like, well, you know, I, I, I hope other people benefit from my life experiences. So perhaps they, you know, can avoid some of the pitfalls or life experiences and difficulties that I went through. But um, on the other hand, you know, it's those life experiences that make us better. So yeah, it they they do totally make us better. And you know, if um, if 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 someone uh, if 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 there's anyone out there who has heard the insights that you've shared, um, and 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 we did not necessarily prevent them from uh, from from making whatever mistakes or or you know whatever encounters um, because they're already in it at least they know they're not alone, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I think it's so important 
I mean, if there's one thing in my message that's so important is, is I'm trying to give people the power so they understand, yes. you know, to, to remove that victim label and to figure out from, you know, from this podcast and from perhaps reading the book mm-hmm. that there is a path to using the very worst experiences of your life and to turn them into your greatest strengths and to use them to propel you to greatness as opposed to drain you. You know, the irony that I find in this, Carrie, I have to say, um, when someone take, takes the, the victim perspective of something happening to them, um, there's a sense or feeling of vulnerability um, that they have. They feel weak because they've been a victim and they were overpowered by some, some event or some person, right? Um, but ironically, vulnerability, as you've shared on this show, in being vulnerable can also be powerful because hugely you, powerful. Yes, yes, because you are opening up yourself and your vulnerability for the purpose of helping other people grow. Yeah. Well, so that and that has been a long journey for me because I spent most of my life trying to fit in and be like everybody else yeah. and keep everybody else happy. And when you actually are authentic and show all your warts. Yes. <laughs> you your differences are pretty glaring and you're you've exposed yourself. You it's it can be um it can be a, a raw experience. But what I what I have learned from my experience is that people who are judgmental, people who pretend to be perfect are often the most judgmental. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people with judgment of others or looking down on someone and finding the differences judgment causes separation whereas Mm. authenticity and vulnerability create connection Mm. and so one of the gifts that has come out of this pandemic is really the zoom call and and that is all of a sudden we can see into people's lives and see how they authentically live and realize oh my god i mean i was on a zoom call uh with the vp of a fortune 500 company and her two-year-old was potty training in the background. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. life. I mean, yeah. so, and I was like, I thought it was the cutest thing. I thought it was hysterical. But <laughs> um, I think that one of the beautiful things that has come out of the pandemic is, as I like to say, the professional and the personal personas have merged. Yes. And now we really are getting to have a more authentic view of people's whole lives as opposed to just this professional persona that they've put out there. And in some ways that has led to greater connection. And I hope that we kind of stay in that authenticity space because the more authentic people are, I mean, you think about who you, the books you want to read or the people you want to meet, it's because, oh, I, they get me. I, I relate to them. And the reason you relate to them is because they've been vulnerable and authentic and shared something that you maybe have kept privately, but now you realize you're not the only one. Nope, that's true. You're not the only one. And yeah. and another piece of irony I want to share in just what you said there um, regarding the pandemic and so forth is, um, you know, it's it's ironic through a virtual platform that we have seen authenticity, and uh, we we all have been humanized. 
right? I mean, yeah. if you talk to a VP in a Fortune 500 company in, let's say, an office setting or environment, corporate environment, you know, you have this persona that that is there, right? The suit, the talk, um, you know, the, the environment, right? But in a Zoom at each other's homes, it humanizes us, right? In the potty train in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Love so it. true. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Carrie. And and uh, I want to ask you as we get close to wrapping up here, if you can sum it up in one sentence, okay? What is Carrie Smith's road to rediscovery? Well, clearly it's been a bumpy one. Um, but that's a, but that's a good thing. I've learned to enjoy the ride. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's been, it's been a journey of, of learning, of, um, learning to own my traumas and yeah. difficulties and failures, embrace them, um, reframe them and use them to power me forward. Beautiful. Beautiful. So Carrie, how can the listeners connect with you, learn more about your great work and pick up a copy of your book? Yeah. So my personal website is carrington-smith.com. And if you go to that website, you can download the first chapter of the book for free. <clears throat> of course, the book is Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life by Carrington Smith. It's available on Amazon. It's also available on Audible if you prefer to listen to it. And I did record it. Awesome. And then, yeah, um, my professional website is carringtonlegal.com. And then, of course, you can find me on social at Carrington ATX on any of the social. Okay. ATX. Mm -hmm. All right. Austin, Texas. <laughs> Austin, Texas. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Texas represent. And uh, we're going to make sure that we have uh, links to, uh, to those um, in the episode show notes so the listeners can click on the links and learn more about your work, connect with you, maybe follow you, pick up a copy of your book as they're listening to this awesome conversation. Oh, Carrie, it's been so great having you on the show. I really appreciate all sorts of anecdotes that you have shared with the listeners. And, and, um, and, and I have no doubt, you know, uh, there's something you shared that has resonated with the listeners that they will take to heart and uh and and transform so thanks so much for coming on the show carrie oh thanks for having me this has been great i've really enjoyed it oh thank you likewise for sure and i want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening and look if you have a loved one a close friend or a colleague or um co-worker who just doesn't seem to be themselves they are they they, they they're going through dark days of despair maybe um, um, holding on to addictions or bad habits or behaviors uh, that is quite unlike them, not quite sure where to turn to or where to go, I humbly ask that you please share this show with them because on the road to rediscovery, we want our listeners to know two things. Number one, you're not alone. And number two, there is always hope. The road to rediscovery, it's a movement, a revolution. And guess what? You are now part of it. We're all roadies on this journey of life, and it sure feels good having you on the road with me. Thank you for listening. We'll chat again soon. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of The Road to Rediscover. 
We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at roadsrediscoverypodcast at gmail.com and leave us any questions or comments you may have. The Roads Rediscovery is an AJ Shark production. Aprovecha los precios más bajos de la temporada de JCPenney, como toallas de baño Home Expressions Quick Dry a solo $4.88. Y encuentra aún más ahorros en botas para damas y jeans para él y ella de marcas como St. John's Bay, Mutual Weave, Arizona y más, comenzando en $21.88 cada uno. Compra con estilo, JCPenney. Ofertas válidas hasta el 23 de octubre en selección de estilos. Los precios más bajos de la temporada se refiere al periodo del 31 de julio al 23 de octubre. Se excluyen del cupón.